0: Ebby Steppock, known to her classmates and family members as Ebby Jane, was an independent, hardworking, and protective friend. Her devotion in close relationships and drive to renew a prosperous life for herself was cut short by an unexplainable, unsolved murder in October of 2005, leaving all who knew her across her hometown of Little Rock, Arkansas, grasping for answers in a sea of evidence that drowned us all in doubt. As a hope to provide more substantial reasoning built upon observable evidence and situational analysis, this is an examination of the death of Ebi Steppock and the harrowing mystery in Charlemont Park. This is Cold Case Detective. Ebby was born on March 31st, 1997, to parents Laurie Jernigan and Peter Stepuck in the suburbs of Little Rock, Arkansas. Growing up in a close-knit community, Ebby was raised with strong ties to her family, especially her mother, who once said, I knew when she took a breath, her first breath, that we would be close and that she would be a very special young lady. As Ebby grew, so did her family, and years later, Ebby and her older brother, Trevor, were joined by their youngest sister Harris. The children were close, spending a lot of their time with their lovely grandparents or at church. Both their intermediate and extended families were incredibly artistic, and the Stepuck siblings were raised in creative environments. Ebby loved photography most of all, and as she got older, found a particular liking to trendy fashion. She quickly crafted a hobby through cosmetology, learning the basics to hairstyling and makeup applications. By the time she was in high school, Abby started contemplating her future and set her sights on becoming both a cosmetologist and a real estate agent. Coupled with career dreams, Ebby also cultivated a compassionate mindset towards her peers. She took it upon herself to look out for the safety of family and friends, going out of her way to protect loved ones from both themselves and external forces. She helped those stuck in a rut, inspiring more than a fair share of positivity throughout the community. Along with her deep-rooted kindness and empathy, Ebby was also severely independent, forging her own path as she neared adulthood and making decisions based on her own wisdom and understanding, not allowing the recommendations of others to sway her opinion. This fierce individualism started taking its toll on Ebby the summer before her senior year of high school. Wanting to break free from the restraints of private school, she transferred out and enrolled at Little Rock Central the summer before she started public school, Ebby also received employment at a footlocker shoe store in McCain Mall. Around this time, her mother, who had since gotten divorced and remarried, noticed a change in Abby's demeanor. She claimed Abby was much more argumentative, staying out past curfew to attend local parties and going against the grain of what had been a staple set of rules in the Stepak household. Ebbie's parents also wondered if her personality changes were synced to a recent relationship Ebbie had entered with a new boyfriend, a boy Lori did not approve of and felt was changing her daughter for the worst. Ultimately, these newfound family clashes combined with independent spirit drove Ebby to move away from her parents' home and split time living with her grandparents, with her older brother Trevor, and with friends from school. One of those friends, Danielle, mentioned that Ebby had been struggling with something unknown, frequently wanting to clear her mind by going on long drives down the highway with music blasting. Danielle claimed these midnight escapes usually helped, but she never truly understood the main reasoning behind it all. Once senior year kicked off and October came around, Ebby began a trend of truancy in school, failing to show up to class on multiple occasions. All of the strange behavior peaked on October 24, 24th, 2015, when Ebby returned to her mother and stepfather's house to inform them that she had been gang-raped by four people at a party the night before. She was certain the incident had been recorded by a cell phone and demanded justice be carried out. Ebby stormed out soon after, thought to be out for revenge on the four suspects herself. Her communication became sporadic and worrisome, making little sense to her friends and family. Then on the afternoon of October the 25th, Ebby made one last phone call to her brother, stating she messed up before the conversation cut off and she was never seen again. Her disappearance disturbed Little Rock for two and a half years until May of 2018 when the remains of Ebby Stepak were discovered in Charlemont Park and her unsold missing persons profile transformed into a homicide cold case. In the summer of 2015, Ebby's life takes a 180 degree transformation. She picks up a job at a nearby footlocker, enters an unapproved relationship by her mother and stepfather, moves out of their home, enrolls at a public school for her senior year, and displays increasing agitation towards both her personal and social life. As the leaves change colors and the warmth of summer turns to the chill of autumn, Ebby continues to worry her friends and family through missing more school than she ever has in her past skipping classes for unknown reasons. The pattern of truancy peaks on Wednesday, October 21st. Danielle, Ebby's friend, whom she has been staying with at the time, texts Ebby informing her she'd be running late at her doctor's appointment, and if Ebby needed to leave for school by herself, that would be okay. Ebby was supposed to drive Danielle to her own charter school called the Lisa Academy, but Ebby responded with a text that read, no, it's not a big deal at all, I swear. I really didn't want to go today anyway because there's all that drama. Danielle would later say that she had no clue what the drama Ebby could be referencing. Despite this, the friends still got together later that evening and were in good spirits per usual. Two days later, on the night of Friday, October 23rd, Ebby attends a party by herself. Danielle later mentioned that she didn't go because she didn't know any of the other attendees, hinting that the crowd was familiar only to Ebby Sometime during the festivities, Ebby is gang raped by four men allegedly recorded by one of their cell phone cameras. The next morning, on Saturday, October 24th, Ebby returns to her mother's home where she informs both Laurie and her stepfather, Michael, about the sexual assault. Ebby demands she go to the police station to report the crime and asks the adults to accompany her. Laurie and Michael agree and ask if they can meet her at the police station later in the day. Morning shifts to afternoon and Ebby tells Danielle that she needed to stay at her older brother Trevor's house to provide him reassurance because he was worrying about her extended absence. Before Ebby leaves for Trevor's place, however, she visits her grandparents and watches television whilst laying in bed. A little while later and they eat dinner together before venturing out for frozen yogurt. At around 8 p.m., Ebby bids farewell to her grandparents, telling them she must meet up with her stepfather Michael and plans on returning to spend the night. This is in contrast to what Ebby told Danielle earlier that day, but her grandparents keep their door open nonetheless. Evening shifts to night, and Laurie and Michael haven't heard back from their daughter. They try calling her cell phone, but receive no response. Michael theorizes Ebby went looking for the alleged cell phone video on her own. Cell phone records indicate during this time, Ebby sent multiple texts to the four men she accused of rape from Friday's party. No contact is made to or by Ebby until the following afternoon at 2 p.m. on Sunday, October 25th. Ebby calls her brother Trevor on the phone and comes across as disorientated, according to him. At first, Ebby says she's out in front of Trevor's house, but when he walks outside, he sees no sign of his sister, The connection is lost and when he calls Ebby back and demands to know where she is, she says she was in her car but wasn't sure where she parked exactly and wouldn't divulge who she was with. Ebby then says, I effed up, and the phone clicks off. This would be the last known contact anyone would make with Ebby. By the time the sun sets and Sunday night rolls around, Ebby is reported missing by her parents. However, the police wait 12 hours after her last point of contact before engaging in an official investigation, per department procedures. Meanwhile, Danielle acts out of fear and drives around the town, searching all of the spots she and Ebby would hang out in hopes of finding a clue. Three days after that final phone call to Trevor, on Wednesday, October 28th, a security guard patrolling a parking lot near a wooded area of a Little Rock neighborhood recreational ground called Charlemont Park, discovers Ebby's 2003 Volkswagen Passat When the Volkswagen is still in the same position two days later, law enforcement comes in on October 30th to search the car. They confirm Ebby's ownership, find the gas tank empty, the battery dead, the key in the ignition, and Ebby's phone, wallet, and contact lenses sitting in the front seats. The investigation continues. A few days pass by, and Ebby's good friend Kaylee and her mother Margie Foley, catch a putrid smell of decomposition emanating from a sewage drain near Charlemont Park in their own search for clues. After multiple calls to Little Rock Police Department, detectives assigned to the case finally arrive back on the scene, but disregard the Foley's claims, stating they had already completed an intense search of the area, and their cadaver dogs would have picked up on any human decomposition. They assume the smell is that of an animal, and the Foley's are pushed away. In November of the same year, Abby's family urges the public to aid in the search for her and offer a $3,000 reward for any applicable leads. Volunteer work heats up and in April of 2016, search and rescue efforts comb the woods near Markham Street and Bowman Road. Nothing of note is found. Five months later in November of 2016, police once again search Charlemont Park for three consecutive days but still find nothing. In May of 2017, authorities theorize the case is most likely a homicide, and a month later, the Stepak family increases the reward for information to $50,000. In October of the same year, the Stepak family hires an additional private investigator, TJ Ward, who worked on the high-profile Natalie Holloway case in Aruba. They gain an international following when Dr. Phil interviews Laurie and Trevor weeks later in December of 2017, Investigators reach a major breakthrough in May of 2018 when another search through Charlemont Park upends skeletal remains from a drainage pipe. Police immediately send the bones in for testing and soon reveal they are the confirmed remains of Ebby Stepuck. In October of 2018, three years to the date after Ebby disappeared, law enforcement announces that the medical examiner discovered Ebby's preliminary cause of death but would not release any further details or what the COD result was, due to the case still being an open homicide investigation. As of today, there have been no further updates. However, police are still inviting anyone with information to come forward. When looking at the grand scheme of Ebi Steffek's case, it's difficult to pinpoint any massive clues or weighted leads. But under a microscope, there is one corner of the evidence bank that could withhold keys to unlocking both who Ebby was in contact with before she disappeared. And with how the initial investigation was muddied with inconsistencies, answers might hide in the cell phone records. The first major indication that something was wrong just before Ebby disappeared was a series of text messages she sent from a personal cell phone to the phones belonging to a few of the men involved in her sexual assault from the party on Friday, October 23rd. These texts were obtained by the first private investigator hired by the Stepak family, Monty Vickers. Vickers stated that Ebby was straightforward in her messages, threatening to call the police. Whether or not she was threatening the men to simply delete the alleged video or to scare them into cooperating is unknown, but these texts could hint at a much larger meaning. They could easily coincide with Ebby's final phone call with her brother on Sunday the 25th. Had Ebby sent the text to the four men and they responded via intimidating methods, she could have easily been scared of their retaliation or worse, hence why she mentions she messed up right before the phone clicks off. Sadly, the police never looked into either the texts or the final phone call to check the towers where these communications pinged so the approximate locations of the interactions cannot be certain. If the ping data is ever collected and analyzed, the footprints of Ebby and her cell phone records could shed unbelievably helpful light. The other confusing and suspicious anomaly from the cell phone documents is the mysterious pair of phone calls made from Ebby's phone to the Little Rock Police Department on the night of Saturday, October 24th. Each call was logged in the records as an outgoing connection to the LRPD, each lasting about one minute long. The Stepak family believes the calls were Abby's first and second efforts to alert the authorities about the previous night's rape. But most perplexing of all, these two calls are not logged anywhere by the Little Rock Police Department. According to reporter Ginny Mung, officers told the mother they had no record of those calls. No scribbled note about the rape of a young woman, no call log tracing the seconds spent on the phone. Not only is it an unfortunate lack of documentation, but it also gives the LRPD a suspicious framing. How do consecutive calls from the same person claiming they have been sexually assaulted go completely ignored? And if the calls weren't reporting a rape, rather Abby calling to express worry about her current and unknown situation? Why did the dispatcher fail to alert authorities? Or worse, law enforcement might have figured it was a boy crying wolf situation? Regardless, without proof the calls were legitimate on the end of the LRPD, Ebby's cell phone records are mostly a mystery. Why she called and what she said cannot be known. But at the very least, it ignites serious concerns regarding the investigation as a whole and the wavering confidence the public has in the first officers who handled Ebby's misguided case. Early on in the investigation, when Ebby was a missing person rather than a homicide victim, there were a bevy of theories regarding where she could have gone and if she left under her own authority. Knowing the little information we have now regarding her death and probable murder, those theories are no longer valid, yet some corners of the internet wonder if Ebby's fate could be the result of suicide. These theories suggest Ebby had a mental breakdown the day she disappeared explaining her disorientated demeanor whilst on the phone with her brother Trevor. In a state of mental anguish and fatigue, she parked at Charlemagne Park and found the sewage drainpipe to crawl into, either to decompress or hide from her pursuers. She would have then perished as a result of her environment. These theories are completely implausible however, taking into consideration there would have been no way to commit suicide in the enclosed space. It was not cold enough for conditions related to hypothermia and the searches in the area revealed no weapons or blood trails. It also makes little sense to believe dehydration or starvation came into play as Ebby would not have voluntarily stayed down there long enough to die from those effects. And had she got stuck somehow, yelling or crying out would have alerted someone in the frequented suburban park, such as the security guard or the search and rescue teams. With zero evidence or sensible circumstances, suicide can be ruled out in regards to Abby's death. Because police are ruling the death as homicide, it's no longer a matter of if Abby was murdered, but rather who Abby was murdered by. One prominent hypothesis by case followers pinpoint the idea of a serial killer being involved. Through careful inspection of recent Arkansas criminal history and murder data, no potential serialized patterns led to an explanation revolving around Abby's death. However, due to the lack of suspects and volatile nature of serial killer discovery, it cannot be completely ruled out considering future breakthroughs or findings. On a similar note, many locals in the area often wonder if gang activity played a role in the case. Little Rock is unfortunately infamous for the illicit actions of gangs and their members, especially in the last 30 years. Known crimes perpetrated by Little Rock gangs include assault, murder, and drug and sex trafficking. Had got gotten involved with the wrong people either that day she vanished or in the months leading up to October 25th when she was exhibiting vast changes in both personality and attitude, it could have led to a little rock gang taking control, something Ebi may have been experimenting with drugs or alcohol, and had accidentally wandered too far into that sphere of the city. It could also give deeper meaning to her final comment to Trevor on the phone when she said, I messed up. Maybe it wasn't just referencing the moment, but rather a collection of moments that caused Ebby to spiral into a broken situation without a fix. The most prominent and realistic theory, however, outlines a possible murder scheme by either one of, a few of, or all of the four men accused of sexually assaulting her the night of Friday, October 23rd. Regardless of whether or not they were members of a gang or affiliated party, the four men were both the last people Ebby contacted outside of her family and have explicit motive for manslaughter. If the men were guilty of rape and Ebby knew there was video evidence, they would have wanted to keep her quiet about it. Judging by both the family stories of Ebby's perseverance on her own Twitter feed from 2013, Ebby wasn't afraid to state her opinion and make her displeasures known. So after she sent multiple texts to the men explaining her knowledge of the crime and intent to report it to authorities, they could have reacted to the idea of legal persecution and taken matters of silencing her into their own hands. It should be stated that in 2017, before Ebby's remains were found, lead detectives at LRPD ruled out the four men as suspects and refused to reveal their identities. The four men would remain clear until a year later when the bones were found in Charlemagne Park and the police said the accused individuals would once again be considered as points of interest within the homicide investigation. To this day, their identities are still unknown, but there is a rumor posted on Reddit that claims to have sources close to the predicament and stated that one of the four men is the son of a policeman. In no way can we confirm this to be true, but we also cannot deny such a possibility. If it holds any accuracy at all, then it makes the final theory much more curious. The entire investigation into Ebby's initial disappearance and later murder has weathered intense scrutiny and criticism by her family and the Arkansas community. The biggest issue people have with the original detectives was their handling of Charlemagne Park and methods of search. As previously mentioned, Ebby's friends, Kaylee and Margie Foley, picked up a scent they described as carcass decomposition near the drain system of the park mere days after Ebby disappeared and called the police. Yet, when the police arrived, they shrugged it off as nothing more than a decaying animal and said because they had already searched the park, there was no need to do it again. This is troubling on many levels and comes across as severely lazy. A young teenage girl is missing and thought to be in trouble, so if smells of decay are discovered close to where her car was found, it shouldn't matter how many times the area was searched, it needs another checkup. Sure, there's the possibility it was just an animal, but because the pipes were exactly where Ebby's remains were found, two and a half years later, the Foley's were more than likely onto something. In addition to the smell debacle, police also failed to respond to the security guard's call about Ebby's vehicle abandoned in the parking lot. It took three days for authorities to make their way to the park and inspect the Volkswagen. Three days is more than enough time for the perpetrator to return and gather any evidence left behind or clean up their messes. Not only that, but taking the time in working a fresh Amber Alert situation gives off vibes of negligence and disinterest. Similar vibes are felt when considering the lack of documentation and response to Ebby's phone call to the LRPD on October 24th. They have since informed reporters that their bank of 911 call recordings dating back to October of 2015 have been deleted, which again seems like more than a coincidence. Many police departments across the country keep their 911 calls logged for years on end, if not saving the entire audio files. Further complaints against the original investigators also highlight the lack of interviews with key players in the case. Ebby's grandparents, who were the last confirmed subjects to see her, were not interviewed for a year and a half after her disappearance. In addition, the security guard who found Ebby's car was not contacted for official interrogation by anyone on the case, until a few months after the fact, when the first private investigator, Monty Vickers, interviewed him. The security guard actually revealed to Vickers that he had footage captured by a camera in his car that showed multiple instances of Ebby meeting an unidentified man in the same parking lot where her vehicle was left. These video recordings were years and years old, unfortunately, and were deleted before Ebby vanished but it's still unexplainable why the original authorities on the case wouldn't interview the security guard with such interesting, vital information. Sadly, no further information is known about the guard or the mysterious parking lot man. All we can do is hope that the current investigators on Ebbie's case consider all these issues and have returned to research the red flags raised by worried onlookers. Before we divulge our hypothesis of Ebby's unsolved murder, we want to make known our conclusions presented in Cold Case Detective are purely logical speculation, based on evidence, circumstance, and factual subtext. We are only privy to the same information presented in each video, and we do not attempt to promise certainty or an expert guarantee on the findings we reach in closing. We simply observe, research, and report. This case is especially confounding due to the major lack of published details or released documents for public analysis. On one hand, it makes perfect sense. The case is an open investigation and law enforcement rarely discloses details of ongoing homicide cases in order to protect the victim, their family, and not let the perpetrator gain a leg up. But on the other hand, it creates a rift in community speculation and conspiracy while rumors like the involvement of the police's son are spread through the volatility of the internet, being unable to confirm nor deny any reports or musings causes headaches more than it relieves the haziness. From our vantage point, we speculate that Ebby had courageous intentions when she left her grandparents' house on Saturday, October 24th. She was not going to let the abusive actions of her four attackers go unnoticed and when she received no assistance from the calls she made to Little Rock Police Department, she stuck up for herself. Ebby's mother, Lori, said Ebby never kept secrets if it meant compromising somebody's safety, and in this case, Ebby wasn't going to sit back and let that very thing happen to herself. She messaged a couple of the attackers threatening legal action and making it known her knowledge of the video proof. Inciting fear and wrath in the men she texted, the four attackers either reacted to the incident themselves, or found associates to carry out what was about to happen. The men potentially then pretended to show remorse, saying they would delete the videos and apologize in person. Ebby wanted to see the best in everyone, could have innocently agreed to meet them in hopes to resolve the ordeal. That is most likely where things went wrong. The meeting place was probably not Charlemont Park. Rather, Charlemont Park is where Ebby's car was driven and left to run dead throwing off investigators and giving the perpetrators time to deal with Abby's corpse. When the initial search of the park was finished by police, the body was moved to the drainage pipe, causing the decaying smells detected by the Foley family and explaining why the cadaver dogs never picked up any scent during the first inspection. How many times afterwards the body was moved, if at all, cannot be known for sure, but there's a chance it was not there the night of Sunday, October 25th, when the maidening mystery began. The true actions of the original detectives, the four men accused of rape, and any co-conspirators cannot be confirmed until arrests are made and case details are announced. Until then, all we can do is honor Ebby and her memories with grace and dignity. She loved going to the beach and listening to the ocean. She loved the sunshine, the sand, the seashells, the serenity. Her mother told the following story in Ebby's obituary. She was 10 years old during a vacation when a tropical depression was going to last for seven days. Ebby wanted to go out and play and her mum said we're praying the storm away. She walked right out into the storm and prayed it away and the rest of us watched the sun come out and the rest of the week was full of sunshine. The beach was one of our favorite places and I will always feel as if she's still there with me. Hopefully, Ebby is cascading in the warmth of a different kind of beach wherever the next life takes us. Meanwhile, we must remain diligent to bring closure to her unjust murder and bring peace to the Steppock and Jernigan families. Ebby would go to the ends of the universe to help her friends, to protect her loved ones, and lend a hand to those in need of help. Let's return the favor. If you have any information regarding the murder of Ebby Jane Steppock, please call the Little Rock Police Department at 501-371-4660 and visit the official Find Ebbie Steppick Facebook page for updates. This has been Cold Case Detective. Follow us on Twitter at Louis Gang Entertainment, on YouTube and Instagram at Louis Gang. It will mean so much to the whole team.